Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. You heard the intro music and Oscar race checkpoint. We are due for one of these as we go around the awards calendar circuit and bring you all the latest news having to do with all things Oscars and Academy Awards related. I am your co-host, Mike One. This is co-host also, Mike. So we just had a long uh, pre-production, pre-recording conversation, Mm -hmm. and I do think your disdain for 2020 (laughs) has curdled into like the dune 1984 bad guy makeup yeah yeah at this point like i can't see you but that's how i picture you i know i know we do these just audio because whatever you just kill them now (laughs) yeah i look i think there's some optimism in this episode it is coded in some negativity but there's some optimism here there's some interesting stories we got a sundance we got a movie to review within this we got some fun stuff i am palpatine it's just the hood of my my north face hoodie that i wear around the house is shadowing my face but i i'm i'm in the mood for optimism, I will say that. I'm, I'm hoping to get hopeful about the 2020 uh, film year, even as it comes uh, towards an end here. It, it, it's not at an end like it usually would be for any other film year in December. As we all know, we are adding two more months on to the 2020 film year. And part of that two months is going to be encapsulating the Sundance Film Festival, which will now be, instead of kicking off the new film year, it'll be kind of capping off the end of the 2020 film year as Oscar. Oscars 2021, as we all know, will now be in April. So Sundance is going to be our first story. And with regards to the Sundance Film Festival, it's going hybrid. That means Mm -hmm. it's going to be mostly a virtual festival this year. But as we've covered, that means you can stream this festival nationwide. Passes are going to go on sale on January 7th. Prices will vary. You have a $350 option for an all-access pass. You could have a $75 day pass. And you could also purchase single movie tickets for $15 a piece, Michael. Yeah, this is exciting that a, a festival of this size is going virtu- virtual and uh, it's going to be uh, cast nationwide. So that, that's that's bigger than New York. That's bigger than Middleburg. I think it's bigger than AFI as well. So this is this is a huge festival that, that's going online. And I think we'll do either a Sundance preview episode or certainly a Sundance review mm-hmm. episode at some point there uh at, at, at the early portion of february amidst all our you know award season coverage and we got a lot of cool stuff planned but i think i was a little underwhelmed with this slate at first michael because of all the coverage all the coverage so far has been teasing me teasing me <laughs> wrapping them around their little finger from all my favorite people in the trades writing about how perhaps late breakers could launch right. for oscars 2021 Unless you consider something like Night of the Kings, or the World to Come, and the in, in one portion of Sundance, they've played at other festivals. But I mean, maybe they can you know get through at the end there. International Film Selection, Night of the Kings, like I said. Unless you consider those as potential Oscar noms, most of these, as Ann Thompson's going to say, are acquisitions and not necessarily 
movies that we're getting within this calendar year like we kind of hope. Yeah, you cite the Ann Thompson uh, IndieWire article. We're going to talk about that directly in a minute. She does say in that article there's sources uh, that she's referencing that say they don't expect any kind of big studio names or like giant pictures to debut on Sundance like we usually get. But there's still reason to be optimistic about the names and the slate at Sundance. I mean, Mm -hmm. you got films starring Tessa Thompson, Damien Bashir, Olivia Wilde, Nicolas Cage, Teisa Farmiga, Tig Notaro, and Andre Holland. So it's not like a totally barren landscape out there. There's still going to be reasons to be excited about, even though the total field is something like 40% less than it was for Sundance 2019. Yeah, that's why I said, like, this episode is coded in some negativity, but when you get to the gooey center, there's a lot of there's a lot of optimism. Because when I kind of researched this slate at Sundance, there are many big names, and I only mentioned a few. There are many big names involved in terms of ensemble casts, and there are some directorial debuts mm-hmm. from actors turned directors and musicians turned directors, like Robin Wright. She's making uh, Land, Questlove, a.k.a. Amir Thompson, uh, Rebecca Hall, comedian Jared Carmichael. I mean, these are some big names in entertainment, and they're getting, you know, sitting in the big chair for a change. Uh, we also got a, a narrative feature from Rebecca and Free Fire director, who I've loved and hated all in the past <laughs> year, Ben Wheatley with uh, In the Earth. And uh, I think his career is just Fascinating. That's why I love doing that episode on Rebecca and uh, High Rise. I think I love that movie as much as I hate it. I know you hated Free Fire. I was not a fan of it. Yeah, I was not a fan of that, nor was I a fan of Rebecca, as a matter of fact. (laughs) Well, who knows what we'll get from Ben Wheatley, but we also have uh, a movie from Tallulah's director, and Tallulah's a cool little movie on Netflix, I believe, from a couple years back. This is from Sharn Heater, and she is directing a film, Coda, about Scottish fishermen, and it looks absolutely fascinating. Anyway, I, like I said, I think we got to preview this further, but there's a there's a lot of you know juicy little nuggets in these uh, plot descriptions. I encourage you all to read those in, uh, for sure. And this is what we kind of hoped. The 2020 film year would bear with the pandemic, and it seems like Sundance is making an effort to go towards the best of the independent films that are out there. We're getting, since the big boys aren't really there to get in the way and take all the headlines, well, there's still going to be headlines written, so something's got to rise to the top here, right? And and maybe it could be a little-known independent film that otherwise wouldn't have gotten a lot of shine. I'm hoping for that. So, you know, fingers crossed there. As for documentaries, uh, we're going to have Biodocs on Rita Marino and Amy Tan. Uh, Rita Mm. Marino specifically has been kind of renaissance in the last couple of years if you've watched anything to do with uh, any award show as a matter of fact she's been popping up all over so good for her she's an egotter about to win another uh, Oscar you know next year right. maybe for maybe uh, Oh, been, that'd be awesome. Could have been talking about her this year, and, and if it wasn't for uh, COVID, we also have One Child Nation's Nan Fu Wong directed a COVID documentary called "In the Same Breath." And I, I'm really impressed by documentaries of the last five years in general. But we got a couple more documentary filmmakers with some. Uh, track record. We have Lucy Walker, who's a two-time Oscar nominee. She made a movie about the California wildfires of 2018, Mike, with Bring Your Own Brigade. Jeez. And uh, we have RBG documentarian Betsy West. We reviewed that movie a couple years ago. Uh, she made another bio doc uh, entitled My Name is Pauly Murray. So a lot of docs. For all the... 
I was going to say crap. I was going to think of another word to be more politically correct, but I'm going to go with crap. For all the crap I've given 2020 <laughs> about their slate and about the movies of 2020, I, it has been a good year for Doc. And you, you said the last five especially have been great. And I do think we're in kind of a golden age of documentaries. That's yeah. a point I've, I've spoken. About. But 2020 has been good for documentaries. So hopefully we can keep those good times rolling. Another documentary hitmaker, Marilyn Agrello of Mad Hot Ballroom. She's going to be back with Street Gang, How We Got to Sesame Street, which, of course, <laughs> is how Big Bird joined the Bloods. And uh, Edgar Wright, and yes, of course, your favorite, Michael, Edgar Wright, he also made a music documentary called The Sparks Brothers. So, obviously, I'm watching that. For, <laughs> I mean, there's no question, because Edgar Wright, and uh, he's my you know future best friend mm -hmm. of, of some course, sort. Of course, naturally. Uh, that I'm not going to be awkward at all uh, when we do finally meet him. Uh, I haven't thought about this at all either. So it's, it's well, at least you're not embarrassing swing. yourself now for him to listen to it. My face isn't you know? red. Right. It's, not, it's fine. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, he's just got a music documentary about a band that I don't care about, and yet it's my most Who uh, you will now obsess film. over. Yeah. Yeah, of the, uh, of the year. Anyway, Mike, <laughs> I was a little worried at first. Uh, but look, after researching this this slate, you mean some of these plot premises are wacky. And as a story junkie, like I'm dying to see some of these again. Everybody look those up. But here's here's the interesting part about this. I think I think all of the names that we mentioned that's just the floor of Sundance. The ceiling, the ceiling, especially in a festival like Sundance, that is known and that also has a track record for launching careers when they get 50% of its films directed by women and more than 50% mm. from non-white filmmakers and more than 50% from debuts, directorial debuts, this is a ceiling for Sundance. Like we haven't seen before because they have the potential to introduce a ton of new talent and the next wave of storytellers that'll make their name, you know, names in this in this business with with a launch pad with this kind of viewership, especially like in the dead of this dark winter. Yeah. It's going to be special. I'll, I'll tell you, it's kind of making me feel like a, a bigger uh, uh, um, bad person. Dick, asshole. Yeah, that's uh, that's what I was trying to avoid there. That D word. It's try. It's kind of making me think I should uh, rethink my approach to 2020 thus far, and uh, it's it's doing a decent job. Maybe I will. I just I'm so hardened and just you know what it is. It's Parasite's fault. Let's just be honest. No, here. It's, it's Parasite's not. fault from last year's Academy Awards because I'm still bitter about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood being so good. And if it came out this year, it would be cleaning up. But all right, let's yeah. let's take a step back. Hopefully, you are right. Hopefully, uh, it. This is a great thing for not only Sundance, but for the film community at large and the industry in general. We are getting a spotlight on films that otherwise may not get this big chance in this big spotlight. Films not made by white males, uh, for the most part, dominating the slate here at Sundance. So uh, let's keep our fingers crossed. Hopefully Sundance has nothing but, you know, gold nuggets hiding in plain sight for all of us to find in terms of movies that are going to be awards worthy. And Sundance itself will commence virtually from January 20. 8th through February 3rd. It will end on Golden Globes nomination day, so that'll be a big day for the film Twitter and the film industry at large. And also, a little shorter than Sundance usually is, but like all festivals, I, I kind of, another bright spot of 2020 has been 
I'm heartened by the way in which these festivals are embracing the online capabilities and widening their exposure to audiences who otherwise would not have a chance to participate in them at all were they just strictly held in person, as has been tradition. There's no doubt about it. Uh, we're taking part in all these festivals mm -hmm. online, virtually. Uh, I've seen probably half the movies that I've seen this year at these festivals. Yep. And yeah, we're totally going to enjoy a, a bunch of uh, movies from this uh, from Sundance at the end of the month. I mean, I know we're going to be busy with Oscar stuff at that time, but I, I can't imagine us not watching uh, several movies a day. Yeah, well, I would love to see a financial breakdown, too. I, I have to think, you know, maybe it's it's bad for the... This, the areas in which these film festivals are held, because obviously they don't get the tourism money, they don't get the the influx of of revenue for the surrounding businesses and business, small businesses in general are getting hammered by the pandemic. But I would think, just speaking strictly about the Film Festival Institute, they have to be doing okay because they're they have to be getting revenue from sources they otherwise wouldn't in other years, and they have to be cutting down on overhead. I would think they're definitely cutting down on overhead, and they're definitely doing well based on some viewership numbers from New York that we got like mm -hmm. 70,000 uh, separate viewers. And if you, again, if you account for how much, you know, people like us spent. <laughs> right. Right. That's what I mean. You think about what they made, you know, whatever the average bill was, they, they had to make a pretty penny there. But the, the, the what I want to highlight here, Mike, is that Middleburg, AFI, new directors, new films, they've all have followed suit to the point where you're like, all right, if, if they would have stopped the practice if it wasn't working, and they certainly wouldn't have, like, Minari and Nomadland right. doing the, you know, one week on a virtual cinema here or there. They wouldn't be doing that kind of, uh, you know, tour, virtual cinema tour that's happening right now. Right. I'm, I'm hopeful this is the future of Film Festival, this hybrid model. You know, obviously you don't want to take away the in-person aspect of it, and it does mean a lot to the industry, and obviously those small businesses, certainly in the community. But I, I'm hopeful that these film festivals will continue to open themselves up to people who can't get there and, and give you an opportunity to participate. It, it is a cool feeling, even just being the, the critics we are and not being able to go there in person to feel oh, like we're part of this. It's exciting to yeah. make your schedule. Like I already started, and I did, look. I mean, there are there are tough choices where you're going to look at this movie's playing twice, and mm -hmm. I almost want to come up with an algorithm or a formula that I can power rank all the movies I want to <laughs> see, and then somehow make sure I see them all. Because I did that with AFI, and I did that with Middleburg, and I had and I had those going simultaneously, both of those festivals, and I was like, how do I make this happen without seeing eight movies a day? I, could, right. I know I could do five and six. It's <laughs> oh, really man. hard to do more than that. Good God, six movies in a day is... Quite the undertaking. I've always been jealous of your ability to uh, to sit through that kind of marathon viewership. But speaking more about Sundance now, we did mention this uh, a little bit ago. Ann Thompson from IndieWire sums things up beautifully, as she always does, when she wrote a piece entitled, Sundance 2021 is all about acquisitions as, dis as distributors resist virtual fest. Okay, so a couple of major takeaways, and her uh, article is also a bit of an interview with Tabitha Jackson, the director at Sundance. So mm -hmm. go and read that. But two takeaways that I want to I want to highlight right off the bat here. Number one, she's expecting early acquisitions, especially by Netflix, and she singled out Questlove's Doc, mm -hmm. uh, Summer of Soul, as probably something that gets scooped up very quickly. Would not surprise me. 
And then I think the even more hopeful statistic, like I said, over 50% of these movies, 71 features, 140 total films, over 50% come from directorial debuts, right? They got more submissions than ever at Sundance. Which is I, crazy. I read that. And they knew it was going to be feast or famine, but the fact that this year has gone the way it has, they got more submissions than ever. And without studio films, Mike, mm-hmm. my takeaway here is that without the names and the ties, and let, let's be honest, any festival, I'm not saying Sundance, but any festival is going to be moved by those, by that potential, right? To sell your to live event. Of course. I mean, the names matter, and we've seen a lot of bad movies by big names at film festivals <laughs> in the past. But here, you don't have as many of those studio films. You don't have those launch pads built in with all the old ties that you feel obliged to offer a spot, right? Yeah. So basically what this became was a contest for newcomers, and they could just pick their favorite films, the best films by all these newcomers, so we really may get a showcase and a well-earned showcase from some super talented newcomers that made great films for this huge-ass festival that was somehow still very selective. And I don't know if it was a quote from Miss Jackson or if it was one of uh, the unnamed sources, but somebody within that article said basically the exact same line of thinking except in completely different or opposite context (laughs) as was said by the Venice curator uh, two years ago. They were basically like, we don't care, we just care about quality of picture. And Mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, this is how that should go. You should have a superbly diverse field between white directors and non-white directors. And that's how the quality of picture argument should go as opposed to, I'm pretty sure it was the Venice Film Festival's curator said it two years ago and when he ended up having no female directors in the field and they were like we only care about quality of picture we don't care about quota filling well Come okay on. that's nice but if that's true you would have a more diverse selection as sundance does here so tip of the cap to them and the next year venice fixed it and right. they put 50 percent and uh power to them in that regard but you're right last year we crushed them for it and mm-hmm. i thought we were we were right to do so and and this year a lot of people have been discovering great movies by debuts mm-hmm. and, uh, and and new filmmakers. So th- that much about Sundance is extremely exciting, Michael. Yeah, uh, I agree. Speaking of excitement, we have been covering the WB story on our pod, on Ryan McQuaid's Chasing the Gold Pod and in, in Session Film, and we got some more WB fallout here. So mm-hmm. amidst all the angry blowback by and from filmmakers within the industry. Oh, has there been some? Yeah, there's mm. been some. I know you're going to have something to say. Uh, there's a few scheduling changes that I predicted. Yay! Because, because I'm now the predictor of all things to the point where I'm becoming very cocky about it and texting you all the time. It's a drug. Uh, it is a drug, Michael. I am, like, predicting weird stuff. Like, I should gamble. I, I, this, this is all famous last words. I'm, and plus, I'm going to be smited. I'm going to be smited any second. Uh, especially when the extent of my powers that I'm getting cocky about uh, go to the Mortal Kombat reboot <laughs> from January to April uh, to allow the, the Oscar potential of the VFX nominee, potential VFX nominee, a la, a la Roger Rabbit, Tom and Jerry. Yes. Come in. Good job making the argument there, sir. <laughs> Tip of the cap to you for I'm, doing I was that. All over that. Oh, 
two weeks ago. I was all over that. Well, it certainly is one of the more intriguing aspects of the WB announcement. And you're right. You did say this. We highlighted it in the episode when we were breaking down WB's decision to go forward, putting their entire 2021 new release slate on a simultaneous uh debut on in both theaters and HBO Max. Uh, we're getting one of our first answers there with Mortal Kombat with Tom and Jerry. They are going to fool around with release dates. We'll see if it happens with some of their bigger blockbusters to come too. And yeah, to kind of highlight what you first said in leading off this story, I know there's a lot of people both in and covering the industry pissed off at WB and it ranges from film Twitter to Denis Villeneuve for wrote an op-ed this week. And I have two kind of points I want to make about that. One, anyone who thinks any major studio cares about anything more than their bottom line, I think, needs a reality check right now. Like, do I think WB cares about theaters and the sanctity of the theatrical exhibition experience? Sure. Sure. Yeah, Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think they do. Do I think they care about that? like one third as much as they do about surviving, thriving and creating as much revenue as quickly as they can in perpetuity. No, I don't. And, and that's the reality of the situation here. And, and I, I think it was WB CEO even said that in a, making this announcement that our films don't do any good sitting on a shelf. They're good if they're shared. They're good if they're watched. They do a lot of good in the industry in general. It doesn't matter where you watch them. There is merit to that statement. Even if you are the most ardent of defenders of theaters, I think. I don't want to go on another math tangent <laughs> that somehow gets confusing with simple numbers that I it's my fault I make them confusing but <laughs> look Netflix made 20 billion on 15 right mm-hmm. 15 spent made 20 5 billion dollar profits mm-hmm. we talked about the film industry losing 39 billion this right. year in terms of overall earnings, Netflix is getting closer to that big theatrical number, whatever that big number is or was. Was it 50? Is it 45? Whatever it was, right? So if you add, you know, Netflix and then another, you know, and whatever half Netflix is, that's Disney Plus. Here's the part where I make it confusing. Whatever half Disney Plus winds up being, if that's where WB tops out. Mm-hmm. Anyway, there's billions to be made on with screen streaming subscriber numbers right they have such a high ceiling for hbo max they really do and it, it, it and it doesn't take that many new subscribers for them to be breaking even if not doing better so the thing is when when a conglomerate the size of uh at&t when they look at this potential this growth potential, they will lose Christopher Nolan happily. Mm-hmm. They will mm-hmm. lose to yeah. these Villeneuve happily so that they don't, I mean, they won't lose them happily, but they, but they, they don't care. It's what they, I agree exactly. with you. That's the, yes. they can yes. make $5 billion. They can make, you know, $3 billion, whatever it is. It's a huge profit margin. If their streaming service does takes off. Yeah, it yeah. does. It does well in this one year, where it can even if it's a bubble for the one year, it's still it's it's, it's such a huge upside. Yeah, and, and that's not to say you know WB doesn't care about the theatrical experience. It's just you gotta put things on a scale. They, I don't. They, they care about making money. That's what this whole industry cares about overall. And it's cynical and it's sad when you look at it in those terms. But it's I think it's the truth. I didn't want to make that a confusing rant again. I totally confused the rant <laughs> and got away from your point. But whenever I hear WB stuff, 
we were on the record for a year saying, I don't see the money. Yeah. The same movie theater money in streaming yet. Right. We said that, right. and we were right, and then Netflix started releasing numbers, and Disney Plus started releasing numbers, and we're like, oh, Never it, mind. the money's even bigger. <laughs> yeah. We were very wrong, it turned out. The money's out. <laughs> way bigger, because people are willing to sit their asses at home, pay $16 a month, and pay $16 for six months past when they even wanted to pay it, just to, they'll still have the streaming service. My God, the, the subscriber numbers are getting out of control, and that is where the money uh, exists going and, forward. And with regards to AT&T being this conglomerate and worrying about the bottom line and not happily losing a Nolan or a Villeneuve, but losing them in pursuit of this revenue, this area, this these streaming dollars, yeah. look, I think specifically talking about AT&T and the WB studio, it's really going to be a fascinating case study uh, for this movement because there aren't many studios or studio parent companies who can just write off massive checks for budgets to directors and not really have it directly impact their bottom line all that much. Like AT&T is kind of one, Disney's one, Comcast, Viacom. I may be missing one or two others, but that's really about it that have their hands in so many other pots that they can afford kind of a massive loss every once in a while. So these big shot directors, they can get all offended by what AT&T is doing, but AT&T probably has deep enough pockets to win a staring contest with them sans some drastic measures such as the entire DGA boycotting doing business with them all told. And even if the DGA were to boycott, it's going to be very hard for every director to turn down a blank... Like, if WB wanted to be cynical and mm-hmm. and they Christopher Nolan and Villeneuve take their balls and say, we're not doing business with WB anymore, which, by the way, it's also important to note that for all the strong words both those two high-profile directors have said about this HBO Max move, they haven't said, we're not doing business with WB anymore. I think that's important to note. But let's say there's a reality in which they do. WB could very well just go to the next rung of prestige directors and say, you know, hey, Spike Jones or the Safties or Marielle Heller, how do you guys want this $200 million blank check that we were going to give to Christopher Nolan, but you can have to adapt Blockbuster X for us and turn some, you know, new piece of literature, some new established property into the new Blockbuster franchise and you could helm it. Or you can try to tell your own story, original story like Christopher Nolan did in Tenet or, or in Dunkirk. You know, I, I think... There's a different angle directors are going to have to take if they want to try to save the theatrical experience because right now the ones that are speaking for them kind of are putting themselves in the way of progress of streaming of this of of the streaming movement and I don't think the streaming movement's going away. I think they want to be more in the theatrical camp than they do in the you can't do this to streaming camp or you shouldn't do this and put it all on streaming camp. I just don't know what that other angle is yet. I don't know what the angle is either. We kind of been decrying this uh, issue with movie theaters, movie theaters not innovating for mm-hmm. over a year. We've mm-hmm. talked about this since last year, and not to say that we're always right, but we're right in this instance with movie theaters. Back when we were covering Movie Pass and, and the AMC A list, and how much I enjoyed that, but how needed that was for the business model, and it's a it's a major problem now that for movie theaters that the streaming dollars are, is a reallocation of people's entertainment budgets 
rather th- and it's going to take away from movie theaters it's it's just yeah. it is it's uh, happening that's just the reality of the situation eyes. right so as much as we love to go to the movies and i was just at the movies last night i loved it it was gorgeous it was immaculate i had a great time seeing the midnight sky even though i wasn't a huge fan of the midnight sky it's a c plus movie with a great score and mm-hmm. george clooney's always good and even if i predicted the movie from the trailer i, I can again i can't apologize for these powers they just exist in me <laughs> but michael I, I had a great time at the movies and i'm, I'm go i'm gonna go as much as i can and it's it was worth it was a six dollar movie night i didn't even know i'm in this gorgeous leather seat movie theater and i would have rented a movie for twenty dollars at home in a in a schlub couch right but here i was at this gorgeous movie theater i would i prefer to do that people coming home from work at the end of a long ass day are going to watch Wonder Woman 84. Most of them are going to watch it on HBO Max. They're just not going to get their asses back out to the movie theaters if if the same movies are available in both places, which yeah. is why I've been talking about exclusivity. So it's not what you, you're taking from Peter to pay Paul right now. It's not going to work for movie theaters with these streaming, you know, realignment. So that's that's the the scary thing, and I understand why Nolan and Villeneuve are are getting after it. On I that do level. too. I I understand that too. I, I do get that. But I'm with you, it's you know, there's also a more cynical take where, and again, IndieWire has been reporting. A lot of people have been reporting that the back ends are screwed up for these directors. They make a lot of money on the back end after the the grosses, and there's going to be lawsuits now with WB. And there's this whole article that dropped today about the fact that you know they didn't tell anybody. At, w, uh, at WB, any of the directors, because they're afraid that it was going to leak, and then they're worried, you know. Oh, it definitely would have leaked. It definitely would have leaked. I, and and if you read the trades, they the trades, I I, I cannot remember. I, I had this in our last episode, but one of the trades made mention about how WB's higher-ups were acting a little wonky in the lead-up to this announcement anyway. So to me, if that's you mean like, true... Uh, Change their whole profit model, business well, model well, over, no, I, I, but over even a month period even of time. Before, even before they announced that, they, they said like they, they weren't in contact. The new CEO was tough to reach according to agents or whatever. And mm-hmm. like, if that's true, there were warning signs. If that's just not bitter hindsight and that's actual reality, that means there were warning signs that something weird and something unreliable may have been in the pipeline and in the works with WB. Uh, you know, what? Would it? Would anyone have guessed it was going to be this? Probably not. Mm-hmm. But I think the oddity was at least out there. Look, I mean, you're a lawyer, and you understand that uh, if they breached contracts or if they breached, you know, agreements, then you know these directors have every right to be sure. upset about it and and to take legal action. And maybe some of them don't want to take legal action with a somebody as big as Warner Brothers because that's going to cost them even more money to sue Warner Brothers. I mean, that's right. A, Obviously, it's it's a mangled nightmare mess, legally speaking, and that's why Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot they kind of renegotiated their back end to a front end for Wonder mm-hmm. Woman nineteen eighty four, and the other directors didn't have a chance. The other auteurs, the other star talent, didn't have a chance to do that ahead of this slate. Are they doing it now? We don't know, but ahead of this slate announcement being pushed to hbo max are they getting subscriber dollars i have no idea i doubt it i think it i think there's going to be fine print in their contracts and maybe it's not that even it's not that fine it's just like hey theatrical grosses is what you get if we put it somewhere else that's not 
you don't get yeah, that. Yeah, usually those contracts are written to include all forms of media or, or distribution now oh, known really? and, to, and forever hereafter come up with. So they're usually all-encompassing for it, you know, perpetuity. That's the famous legal word, but it's usually all encompassing like that. So just if that's how those contracts are structured, uh, <laughs> it's going to be going to be awfully tough for the directors to make headway. Now, I mean, I actually think WB paying out Gal Gadot and Patty Jenkins like that could work against them. I mean, that could actually give somebody a, d- a different director like credit. They could be like, look, they know WB knows that this was nefarious. This was going to hurt people's back ends because otherwise, why would they have done this? So maybe that works in a favor of a lawsuit. But again, like you said, how do you comfortably sue WB if you're a director that doesn't have huge pockets and wants to make a living in this industry? You're right. I mean, mangled mess is probably the putting it nicely. And that's why we've done so much speculation and just projection and guessing at this because we're in a totally new landscape Hmm. for all of this. This is a whole new cinematic world we're entering, to quote Aladdin, amongst other people. (laughs) So I I, I just don't know. We're just going to have to follow this and, and just see how it plays out in real time. But I, I, I'm not surprised after an announcement that big that there's a lot of fire from both no, sides. No, no, not at all. And and you made the point in our pre-show. Like, these directors made these movies, Villeneuve specifically, Nolan specifically, they made these movies oh, yeah. to be seen on a big screen. It just breaks my heart that a lot of people won't be in a crowded movie theater to watch and applaud Wonder Woman. And then all of the mm-hmm. Kong Godzilla fans. I mean, as, as bad as Godzilla movies have been, like, they've been cool to watch on the big screen. Mm-hmm. King Kong movie, all the reboots. Uh, those movies are made for the big screen. Dune. Like, I, I, I was talking to my brother the other day, like, hey, can we, like, ditch the family Christmas Eve and go see Wonder Woman that night? <laughs> Just, <laughs> why not? Uh, we can't. You but... had me at ditch the family Christmas Eve. <laughs> We were thinking about it, and they're like, oh, or we could just watch it on HBO Max two days later or do the same thing if mm-hmm. the movie's two days later. Like, I might be their dream customer, HBO Max, because I'm going to probably see some of these movies in theaters and on HBO Max. But... Well, that's that's got to be part of the gamble WB is taking into consideration. Right. hinted at this, too. It's Yeah, there's people like you and there's people like me to a lesser extent, but people in film Twitter who love the theatrical experience and swear by it and want to defend it. I have to imagine... That's a minority of the people who would subscribe how to many HBO of Max. Us? Yeah, yeah, how many of us out there are out there? I mean, if you're working a nine to five, you get home after sitting in rush hour traffic, and you're like, oh my God, it's Friday night. I could sit in my own home with my own clean bathroom, with my own food, with my own popcorn if I want to make it, or make myself a whole sandwich, and I can watch the latest blockbuster with my feet up and my slippers on. It's got to be appealing to a lot of people. It's not to say that movie theaters don't have a business going forward. It's just... No, 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 it's not. It's going to cut their legs out. There's no question. It's going to cut their legs out. Especially after this pandemic. It's going to be... It's tough to see how they... like Like I said, I mean, a lot to cover and a lot to just watch there's so many different factors and arms of this to watch as we go forward it's really really a, a fascinating new landscape here i agree we can move on we talk about some golden globe submissions michael promising young woman is going to be submitted at the globes for a comedy or musical categories has this strategy worked before for uh studios where they have kind of put the movie in a certain category to hopefully posture it for Oscars. Well, that's a whole podcast worth of programming and stats that are too confusing to mention right now, other than the fact that I would say the comedy or musical stats that we've gone over on this show, 
obviously drama has a stronger track record in crossing over both in wins and nominations. However, I I mean, it's just my gut. And certainly the, the winning, the winner's circle means a lot. When you get something that plays well at the Globes and that could win at the Globes, that does posture you for a best picture nominee at the very least much better. And, and this is probably what promising young woman is thinking. They're thinking if this is open, this is open season. Mm-hmm. We could, we could get this win in this category. Let's posture it here. Yeah. And if they want to be taken more serious, I mean, at least in the zeitgeist, you're taken more seriously, even if there's not a lot of direct crossover between who votes in the HFPA for the, the Hollywood foreign press association for the golden Globes and, members of the academy and i remember it all matters we've been yeah, over this a right. thousand times the crossover stats don't lie i know everybody's like well they're wonkier and they're they're idiots or they're whatever weird it matters it matters it's it's perception and the stats prove it out yeah absolutely i mean there's there's definitely a, a case if for nothing else then momentum is a very real thing as far as promising young woman being a comedy or musical at the globes i've actually seen some unhappiness at the categorization of that uh, but unlike most years when, like, say, The Martian was submitted as a comedy or musical, the disdain isn't about necessarily category fraud for Oscar posturing sake. It's more so I've seen people mad that, well, if you call Promising Young Woman a comedy or musical, that kind of takes away from the overall message and the meaning and the morals of what's going on yeah. in the story. Now, having not seen the movie yet, I can't co- pass comment on that. I just think it's a different twist, if nothing else, on the disdain people have for a Golden Globes movie being categorized as one versus the other. All I'll say is it's very understandable. I, yeah. I think it's understandable. I, I could see both arguments at the end of the day. And, you know, something like Get Out was in the middle of those arguments, mm-hmm. even, you know, to a lesser extent, not for the for the issues of the movies, but to a lesser extent when we had A Star is Born and mm-hmm. Bohemian Rhapsody yep. go drama instead of musical, even though most of their muse- movie is musical. Yeah. If not and, a musical. <laughs> and look, I, if it's a controversy, it's going to get headlines. It's going to get people talking. I'm all for any kind of prolonged conversation about promising young woman to bring it more and further Oscars relevancy at this point, especially with this 2020 field from where I sit anyway. But that's going to be something we can keep our eye on. If she wins an actress for comedy musical or if that wins picture mm. uh, comedy or musical, that cements its nomination more than likely yeah at the at the oscars especially in a year like this i yeah. i would i would say in maybe other years and other loaded years you know you maybe that would get passed over right but in a year like this i would say carrie mulligan winning a globe would would make her a contender even in that particularly crowded field and it certainly is a huge feather in the cap of the movie yeah uh, going into the oscars absolutely Absolutely. We could talk about some actual awards that have been given out. The European Film Awards, we previewed these not too long ago on a separate ORC. Well, we have some winners. Another round, the Mads Mikkelsen movie, it won four major awards, including Best Feature, Best Director for Thomas Vinterberg, Best Screenwriter for Vinterberg and Tobias Lindholm, and Best Actor, Mads Mikkelsen. Michael, you have a you have seen this movie. You have a quick review. Quick review. It is an intense and bittersweet dramedy. It does explore alcoholism and addiction. It does explore the midlife crisis angle. It is still funny, 
but there is a tempo and tone to this movie that I did not expect. So if you're thinking this is Wedding Crashers or something like that, it is not. It is an art film, very much so, and it is a tempo that is weird, to say Mm -hmm. the least. But I found myself yelling at the screen, and then I found myself dancing during this movie. (laughs) I, That's my favorite type of also, Mike. Yelling and dancing. Those are I the two things I expect. I was yelling in one minute, and I was dancing in mm-hmm. another. And of course. And I am not ashamed about it. And I <laughs> you know, I don't want to depress anybody further. We're just talking about movie theaters. I don't want to depress people further, but there is quite the backstory for Thomas Vinterberg and a tragedy going into this story that I think everybody would be enriched to an extent, to read, even though it would make you sad. But they, they don't shy away from exploring some serious subject matter in this movie, which is why I think someone who's curdled like you, like I said at the top of the show, <laughs> you'd probably dig this one. So, again, this I watched it on middlebergfilm.org, and uh, I really loved how they put forth their festival. So they have a virtual cinema that's humming right now. And I love how I can Chromecast, Google Chromecast it right to my TV, and it looks pristine. So I, I immediately uh, jumped all over that once it got uh, released this past weekend. I think it's coming to more VOD platforms sooner. But this is a, a movie that I want to study further. I shouted out Thomas Vinterberg in our director conversation mm-hmm. with uh, – with Ryan McQuaid as somebody who should at least be in the conversation, like top 15, top yep. 10, as maybe an outsider looking in, Powell Polakowski style. Yep. Uh, he's got ability in that category, but also the screenplay category. That screenplay win at the, the European Film Awards, it could matter. And and he may get his you know breakthrough in, in that regard. Uh, as for Mads Mikkelsen, he seems to be on the outside looking in as well, but it really is a strong performance, and with further study, I don't know. It's just it's a performance that wins me over, especially when you know the backstory. And I, I, I'm excited for you to get your hands on this one, Mike. All right, all right. I got a little hope. I mean, mm-hmm. The hope engine's starting to turn its wheels. I'm, I'm getting a little optimistic about some stuff. Promising young woman, uh, another round. There's there's stuff I do want to see that has to save this film year for me. But anyway, that's a different conversation for a different day. Uh, we have other highlights from the European Film Awards, Michael. Paula Beer won for Best Actress as a German Mermaid. Also Best German Mermaid. I think that was an award mm-hmm. as well. Right, For sure. Undine, and I've, uh, <laughs> I've loved that movie. Uh, Collective won Best Documentary, which I think is important. And it matters to the, to the resume of Collective, especially when it's going for documentary and Best International Feature, perhaps sure. a double nominee. I have been just feeling in my bones, which is probably worthless, because that category is totally unpredictable. But sure is. In a year with 20 awesome documentaries, Collective, to me, feels the most that category. And I, I love the movie B-Plus 88. The Mole Agent was another one, a B-Plus 88. They're, they're looking for dual nominations, and uh, it's, it's important to stack the resume there. We have other awards, too. Production design went to The Personal History of David Copperfield. Mm-hmm. Score went to Berlin, Alexander Platz. <laughs> Is that Good a job. name? Yeah, you got it. <laughs> All right. Uh, costumes went to Hidden Away, Makeup and Hair, The Endless Trench, VFX, The Platform. Sound design, Little Girl, Editing, once more into the breach. Yeah, I figure it's fun to list those sometimes. Just get movies on your guys' radar. Yeah. Uh, here's an interesting win. 
and an interesting upset, in my opinion. Klaus, the uh, Netflix animated film that was a animated feature contender last yeah. year, Mike, that lost. That lost to Joseph. And, and this is a, like an adult slanted animated film with a plot premise that reads a dying gendarme. Uh, I should have looked up that pronunciation. <laughs> A dying somebody remembers his encounter with Catalan artist Joseph Bartoli in a French concentration camp after the Spanish Civil War. So wow. Disney, I, I heard, got outbid when ma- making this uh, uh, this animated film for mass audiences, Mike. No, that, oh, there, the joke. <laughs> Disney. I thought you were being serious and talking about a, a purchase, and then I realized you were talking. To, okay, <laughs> I can't believe this beat Claus. Claus was supposed to win the Oscar last year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Claus was a contender. A couple people actually picked it for the upset. I yeah. remember uh, being surprised at seeing. But look, we're always in the mood for headlines, and that certainly is one. Uh, moving on to some Critics Society awards here. The Boston Society of Film Critics, they picked a winner as well for their best director. Yeah, Nomadland uh, won Chloe Zhao the award at the Bo- in Boston, and they picked Nomadland as the best film as well. So that one picture and director there at the Boston Society of Film Critics. Anthony Hopkins of The Father took home Best Actor. Sidney Flanagan of Never Rarely Sometimes Always took Lead Actress. And Ma Rainey won Best Ensemble. My Rainey's winning a couple ensembles. That's a big, that's a big notoriety uh, piece for Sydney Flanagan. I wish she was supporting yeah. actress somehow. She can't be. That would be the category fraud of all time. But that's it's it's fun to see her get a moment there in such, such a crowded category. Agreed. As for the uh, supportings, Michael, they are interesting as all hell because they're they're wide open races, both of them, in my opinion. Uh, Yoon Ya Jung uh, won supporting actress for Minari. And Paul Racy of Sound of Metal won his second supporting actor of the week after Sunset Film Circle picked him uh, not too long ago. So this is, again, this is important for, for those categories. Like the critics' nod might really be the deciding vote at the end of the day for, for the supportings that, in my opinion, are it's a deep field in supporting actor uh, and and uh, people on the, a lot of the same tier, a lot of big names, and then supporting actresses still wide open. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A couple of wide open categories on the uh, upper part and uh, the lower part of the card, as a matter of fact. 2020, man, just a just a wild year and wide mm-hmm. open one in general. Uh, the New York Film Critics Circle, they're going to make their picks next. That'll be this Friday, or you might be listening to this on Friday if you are. Hi. Then it's today they're making those picks. <laughs> Otherwise, and thanks to Eric Anderson and the Awards Watch calendar, we have another Boston group, Indiana, L.A., Chicago, Florida, and Western New York all making their announcements prior to Christmas Day. That's going to wrap up the Film Critics Awards portion, and we can go into our last segment here talking about the Disney announcements and fallout therefrom. Uh, Disney, of course, held their big investors meeting the other day. They unleashed... Every Kraken they have in their uh, disposal right now as they start shaping the future of Disney Plus and the Disney Studios overall. And before we talk about a few of our highlights, let's discuss the most underrated Oscar story, Michael. Hulu announced that they will release Searchlight and 20th Century Films as originals in 2021. So they're not clear whether this means that the 2021 slate, including awards pictures like Nomadland, uh, a definite Best Picture nominee like Antlers, 
and movies like everybody's talking about you're not listening you, you didn't laugh at that but it's antlers i just said it was getting nominated for best picture like, i thought you were serious about it and i was excited <laughs> that's why i was laying out i'm not even joking i was like all right yeah let's get antlers in the conversation <laughs> I just sometimes I try, I try to troll you mid presentation. <laughs> I, I no thought you were reason. dead serious. I got so I'm not even joking. I was listening the whole time and I was excited. Can you imagine if the fucking movie about like the vampire zombie dad? Well, now it's what down, I want, and I won't be happy with anything else. Thanks to you. Chowing down on a deer carcass, <laughs> scaring the shit out of their school age son, is a best movie. picture. That gets nominated for Best Picture. <laughs> anyway, where the hell was I? Mike, we're not sure if Antler's certain Best Picture nominee. Antlers, yes. Everybody's talking about Jamie that we've previewed thus far. The Kingsman. Are they coming directly to Hulu in early uh, January, February, March there? I don't know. Nobody seems to know. To me, this is Disney slash Hulu keeping their options open. And maybe they're going to see how Soul does. Maybe they're going to see what the HBO Max subscriber numbers are and how WB's doing. Maybe they're going to see how PVOD do, is doing or how dark the winter is, right? Mm. Because this allows them to pivot some things. And I don't think it's pivoting things back into the race necessarily like a next goal wins or like a, you know, French dispatch. I don't think that's happening at this point. They're going to, I don't see that late breaker coming through, even though I predicted it most of the year that it could happen to me. This is them saying and making a contingency plan where they can, you know, show some Hulu originals uh, that are major studio productions because they've been doing so well with run, with uh, with uh, happiest season, etc. In terms of viewership, yeah, it's it, it's kind of an under the radar story in that if if Disney wants to put everything on streaming, they have now multiple options with which to do that through, and they're kind. Of, it seems like they're preparing to make that pivot, they even could. though they're they're not saying that's what they're doing yet, or at least that hasn't been clear. That's what they're doing. There's a lot of speculation out there, like you just said. So. It's fascinating to me that WB is getting all the wrath and yet Disney could be doing the exact same thing (laughs) and they're kind of somehow for Disney flying under the radar. So that was like the sneaky Oscar news. And I don't Mm -hmm. I don't think it's necessarily going to matriculate into this season but i i think next season that's it's a that's big news that could that can mean major yeah, could be calendar huge. solidifying Absolutely. right i mean because again we, we we've been having this calendar go crazy on us all year and maybe we'll finally get a, a solidified calendar for once anyway star wars news and in terms of films <laughs> there's only two big copy uh, two big nuggets like patty jenkins is doing Rogue Squadron, and that's yes. exciting. It's kind of this throwback Star Wars movie, which is cool about the rebels, and and but but it's also this big conversation that we could have about her going straight to Disney after making that sweet deal that must have been so sweet that she ran for the hills immediately from WB. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was gonna say, guess who's not upset about all the streaming content coming out now is Patty Jenkins, mm-hmm. who goes from DC comic book property to Star Wars property, all on streaming. Well, I don't. It's Rogue Squadron going direct. I mean, they didn't say, but anyway, Taika Waititi, his movie got confirmed. Those are the two Star Wars movies that I saw got confirmed, and uh, I don't like. Oh, you think it's streamed. not? Oh, interesting. I thought. See, I thought. I thought this was announcements for Disney Plus, but maybe you're right. I don't know. I don't know. 
I don't know either. Anyway, we used to have MMOW, which used to be focused more on pop culture, <laughs> non-Oscar stories, but I didn't research this one as much. Mike, did you, you have some criticism for the overall quantity of Star Wars productions. What do you think is going to happen? Well, they announced like nine different series and films <laughs> all within the Star Wars. Like, this studio couldn't handle making one theatrical release from a Star Wars IP per year and make it enough of a viable financial success to justify doing one per year. Yeah. And they just bungled episode nine. I'm sorry, but I mean, the financials of that aren't what they could have been. Yeah. So now we're just going to pull the any kind of restraints back completely and we're just going to say, hey, here's nine original IPs related to Star Wars that you're going to get. Some of them are in movies. Some of them are going to be in multi-part series form and you're just going to get all of it and they're all going to be hits and everyone's celebrating them. That's, that's a lot of new Star Wars, man. It's, it's improbable that they're all going to be great, but here's the thing. The Mandalorian just made a clean schmillion dollars. Sure. Schmillion. Sure. Tens of schmillions. Yeah. Uh, for Disney Plus, and now Disney Plus is is gone from zero subscribers at the beginning of this <laughs> to 86 million. I mean, just imagine what they're making uh, to the point where they can announce this many projects. So, I mean, they're diving into this saying, all right, we're going to have 10 must-see Star Wars shows and 10 must-see Marvel shows and you guys in the world, I mean, you're 200 million potential subscribers, get on board. And that's why we're telling you all of this in advance, because this is a major subscriber grab, right, around the holiday season. Everybody's... Yeah, but they couldn't handle uh, one. <laughs> they could. They bungled doing one with what? big names attached and a big name director attached. What have they done for me lately? They've given me Baby Yoda. So I... Will watch every so it's all single... forgiven. That's all in the past. What happened is prologue. I will watch every single episode of every single one of these shows because I need to. This is, but that's that's part of it. Is that you, Star Wars people? You're, you, this is a drug to you. You need this. You thrive off this. I I'm even considering buying some of the toys. <laughs> Not gonna lie, we just did. I just bought one for my sister-in-law, uh, an animatronic baby Yoda. See, you can't escape. You can't escape the stars I, war, I, the stars <laughs> war that you've mispronounced in our past. I hope all of these properties flop. My no, I don't. I truly don't. Yeah, <laughs> I truly don't. I hope they're good. I just think. I'm always the wet blanket of the two of us. I understand that. But let's temper expectations a little bit that nine properties is the benchmark now, and it's all going to be okay. I will not do any of that. But Michael, <laughs> no, you won't, and you're not alone. MCU. There are a bunch of stories that are fascinating. We have uh, we have James Gunn. Apparently, he is obviously he's doing Guardians 3, Guardians of the Galaxy 3, but they're also doing a holiday special. Is this like going to drop on Disney Plus this year? Is this next year? I'm ignorant about this. I, I just hope it's as good as the Star Wars holiday special that was kind of banished to exile for 40 years before somebody was able to dig up a copy of it. As bad as that special yeah. is, therefore it's good. Yeah. No, uh, on a serious note, Black Panther 2 will not recast T'Challa. I know that kind of came out earlier, kind of leaked or whatever, uh, because of course not, Michael. Yeah, and give that series to the women already in it. I mean, give it to Lupita, Denai, Letitia. They can absolutely carry the franchise while paying homage to their metaphorical and cinematic king the whole time. Mm -hmm. The only other acceptable move 
for me, I think, would be if you play around with a multiverse theory and you bring back uh, Michael B. Jordan's Killmonger and make him a good guy. I mean, I, I'm a, I'd be okay with that. But you have Winston Duke in there. You have people attached already. Uh, Sterling K. Brown made an appearance. You know, you have plenty of talent that can carry that. I don't think you need to. I, I would be offended if they re- recast T'Challa, quite frankly. Right. Uh, it, uh, of course not. It's uh, it's there. and it's I Chadwick. Have Chadwick faith. is yeah. T'Challa. I have faith in the, that talent, those actresses. the And, and Daniel Kaluuya is involved, too. I mean, he could still be. Right. I didn't even get to mention him. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Mike, Ant-Man 3 is going to be called Quantum Mania. What do you think of Ant-Man 3? I don't know. Something weird is happening. Marvel is going overboard with this multiverse stuff. I mean, the quantum universe, the multiverse, I assume it's all going to play in together. We've already seen the Ant-Man movies toy around with it. We know the next Doctor Strange movie is going to be called Multiverse of Madness. We know the new Spider-Man movie is bringing back everybody who's ever been in any Spider-Man property in history all fit into one movie to reprise their roles. So, so I'm very, very curious to see what's what's happening, how this is all going to tie together. Well, we're only talking about the movies, but I guess if you have multiple metaphoric connectors, mm-hmm. devices, Quantum <laughs> Realm slash multiverse in order to make me watch 10 tv shows i'm not gonna i'm not gonna be upset if you connect all of my dreams together i'm just i'll happily you know live my dreams each mcu world spits out and connects somehow to a different star wars property and that's how they're going to justify releasing nine at once (laughs) (laughs) then i will never leave my couch (laughs) never Michael, finally, you predicted this last story of the day. Marvel's first family is getting a welcome home to the MCU reboot as Spider-Man director John Watts is now attached to Fantastic Four. So I'm a genius. Um, We know that. No, I'm, I'm excited to see this. I hope they can finally give Fantastic Four the the justice that that property deserves. I want to know more. Were you excited to hear about the Fantastic Four announcement or were you upset that it wasn't an X-Men announcement? I was excited and I, I will see that movie immediately. And I, I love the Fantastic Four going back to the cartoons as a kid. Again, I'm not a comic book guy, mm-hmm. but I've been watching Marvel cartoons since a very, you know, very young age, every Saturday morning. And that's my experience with Fantastic Four when they would show up, and another cartoon character, or I remember having that VHS uh, uh, later on a DVD when my brothers were going through that phases, and I would be a 14, 15-year-old guy pretending not to care while the Fantastic Four DVD of whatever, <laughs> four or five episodes would just go on, and I'd watch the whole thing because I loved it. It's always will. Do you think there's more money in a cinematic X-Men property than a cinematic Fantastic Four property? I, I feel like the stink of uh, Dark Phoenix has to mm-hmm. wear. No, I I think I definitely think yes. I I do think I do too, and that's why I think this is a smart move. Per- yeah. per, you know, perfect the first group, and then when you're ready to bring over Wolverine, everyone's going to be just as excited to see him as ever. But the Fantastic Four deserves a good adaptation. By now, they have a plan. I mean, they have a yeah. hundred thousand comic books to mind for ideas by now they have they know exactly what they're going to do in my opinion i agree i agree all right put you on the spot pick (laughs) one person pick one actor you want to see in any of the fantastic four roles Ooh. (sighs) actor Uh, or actress any any actor well michael shannon would be a pretty good uh dr doom 
Oh, I like that. I just want to go full heel. I like me that be a lot. afraid of, of Dr. Doom. But uh, I, I really do like that. Yeah, I think that's a good call by you. I don't know. It just it, it came to me. Uh, maybe it was the John Gabris seeing him on the subway story. I uh, just <laughs> remembered when he was on our show. <laughs> what a callback. <laughs> uh, I just felt the need to drop names and then call back to a time where I felt the coolest I've, I've felt in a while when John Gabris was on a show. Yeah. Is, is there any, uh, is there any other Disney announcement that you were excited for? Or was the 18,000 star Wars properties enough to satiate you? Well, I think there was a, there was a Pixar announcement in there that seemed kind of cool, but there's also, there's an Italian Pixar film coming by the way. It's like, I saw that. Yes. Mm. I'm ready. <laughs> That's that's the title of it, as a matter of fact. That's what it's going to be called. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for this Oscar race checkpoint. Uh, we went around the award season calendar, gave you a little critic award news, gave you a little award show news, capped it off with a lot of Disney there. And as always, we are prognosticating, projecting, and just watching what the hell is going on in the world of streaming, specifically with WB and elsewhere. But as always, the most important part of any of this is we want to hear from you. Dear listener, what was your favorite announcement? What are you most excited for from the Disney Investor Call? Uh, was there anything that gives you pause or worry? How do you feel uh, about a week later after hearing the WB news? Does, does any of these updates give you any reason to concern or allay your fears? Uh, you can leave us all of those as well as any other comments, questions, or concerns you have for anything we do here in the MMO Empire on our social medias. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available everywhere you hear podcasts and if you're listening to us on the apple podcast app if you would be so kind as to tap on our cartoon faces and our logo and leave us a five-star review within said app that would be very cool of you to do and help us out a ton michael what are some words of wisdom to end on tell the good people what's coming next from us well what's coming next i think we're going to do something uh on ma rainey uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if it'll be a full osp or attached to an uh, oscar race checkpoint you know these oscar race checkpoints are a little finicky like we we do them when we get the news to to do and mm-hmm. i think that's it's been fluid and that's why we kind of went away from the weekly model where we could do where we didn't have to be married to the you know the weekly news show but have a new show when we need a new show so ma rainey is is a is a good movie in any year i'm excited for us to talk about that one we're gonna do some kind of another christmas show that we want to put out next week as well. And then we have all these movies to review. <laughs> There's a lot more movies to review that a lot of them debut on the 25th. And uh, I think uh, we're both excited. But here are my words of wisdom. Mm-hmm. We should stop being so excited. Because as good as these <laughs> movies might be, you especially, I'm talking to you, we need to yeah. lower our expectations. And... Every movie cannot carry the weight of 2020 on it, Michael. That is a you problem. That's not the movie's problem. That might as well just be a slogan for the year of 2020 and just stop being excited. If you get a B+, (laughs) enjoy it for a B+. Or if you get a B, enjoy it for a B. I got to say the same thing myself because I watched a string of lousy movies and another round was one that I wanted to highlight as, as a positive today, and that's one of the few movies that I've really, really enjoyed. I mean, list them all off. I've had a rough go. I'm in a slump. Mm. I'm in a movie-watching slump. Watched them all. It's not been great. Mole Agent, another round. So I am trying to talk myself into lowering my expectations so that I'll just enjoy movies more, perhaps. 
I'm, I'm going. I'm going to be positive. I'm going to <laughs> go in with no expectations and 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 be positive and hopeful. I'm, I'm going to try. Not what I said. You just twisted <laughs> what I said. You can't. If you. And if these movies flop, it's on you. <laughs> We're doomed, folks. You see how he twisted that. I don't. I'm not going to explain it here. But yes, you definitely twisted what I said. You have to lower the expectations. Anyway, these are all going to suck. <laughs> No, I, I, I am I am willing. I'm hopeful. I'm hoping 2020 will will end on high notes across the board, and I won't be upset if they don't. And that last part was a lie. What I'm saying Guys. is my words of wisdom is don't hope. Don't hope. Just be. And if you get something good, the hope is that you weren't hoping for it. You're, you're already misconstruing. Hope you should not be. You will. Perfect. Guys, when reality sucks, you can come look around the award season landscape with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round. Without the stuffiness, we will see you all very soon. See you.